Okay. Any missing blanks or, or any? We'll start with the missing blanks. Any, everyone? Oh, Matthew has a couple of missing blanks. Growing. Growing. You got it. Dwelling place. Can I get a second mic person volunteer? Second mic person? So Jacob's not getting all the steps. Alex! All right. Chickadee. Chick, chick. Okay. Okay, now that we've got the blanks taken care of. Questions? Oh, Carrie Streif. Oh, slacking. Okay, so under point two down at D, we talked about um, we're all family in God. And so part of that is us being unified. And you mentioned like working, like working things out and well, working things out and not just like letting things go by and stuff. And so I think that can be a really, really difficult area to be unified in for us as believers. Um, Maybe in immediate family, like you were talking about with kids and stuff, maybe in your immediate family, it's easier to see the need to address that stuff. But in the body as a whole, it's a lot easier to kind of avoid like talking to people about sin that you see and correcting them on it. And also on the other side of that to receive that well. Yeah. So I think either talking about like what distracts us from doing that or like what do we do to like grow in both of those sides in understanding that part of our calling is to go to other people and like address them that we see or like um, reconcile ourselves to them. Also understanding that part of our job in the body is to receive people well when they come to us with that. Okay. There's a lot there. Let me, yeah, I have, yeah, we'll take a swing at some of that. It's important that, like I said, it's not just family because I've got extended family that don't live in my home. And so the real emphasis, I think we get the necessity of, of maintaining the unity is a house divided can't stand. If we're, if we're in the same household, if, if my children are quarreling and fighting with each other for months on end, that doesn't work. That's a non-starter. Um, and so we need to... Um, let, Paul's going to tell us to work. I mean, turn, turn to Ephesians 4 where he actually does just that. Um, like I'm saying, he's laying the foundation in chapter 2 for what he's going to say in application in chapter 4. And so, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So the logic, in part, is you've got to know and learn and be taught the reality of the church so that then you can respond to that in a worthy way. And a worthy way looks like, at least in the first instance, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we have a hard enough time doing that reluctantly, but he wants us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he reminds us again of these realities, because there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Right? So, 
So there's the, founda- there's the command and the foundation of our, of our unity. And the temptation is, especially in the West, where there's churches on every corner. I mean, this, this is a much more pressing reality when there's the church in Ephesus. And so if there's conflict between members of the church at Ephesus, there's nowhere to go unless you leave Ephesus. You can't say, well, I'm going to go down to First Baptist down the street later, you know. Um, you got to either work through things or endure the, the conflict. Uh, so one of the problems we have back with our consumer mentality is, dude, we got a church for you of every shape and size and, and time and music style and uh, everything. And, and there are theological differences for churches. There are cultural differences. There are purely preferential differences. Some, some churches have multiple services with different styles of music. It, no different theology purely different aesthetics and different um, issues. And so because of that, the, the whole mentality for us is, I'll just go where it's easy. I, I will flex as little as I have to flex. So what time best fits with my schedule? What, what music is most pleasing to me? Where can I find people who I have to do the least amount of flexing to get to know? And so this is one of the major reasons why we get churches of similar demographics. And so... No one, no church puts on their, their signpost, you know, white middle class families. But you can start getting that in a church. And no church put, well, maybe some churches do put on their signpost different groups and different things. You know, young hipsters, you know, or this is the old, the old person's church. But very, but, but, but you start to group. And part of it is purely just a matter, I mean, there's everything's being called racism now. But could it just be, in some degrees, we like, because we're self-centered, and we like ease, could it just be, I like being around people like me? Which is not a good thing to serve, but isn't as evil or pernicious as some might think that is. So because of the, that type of plurality of options, I can really avoid dealing with things. I can just go someplace else. And, and um, in, in my time here, I've certainly seen people... people leave churches for good reasons, theological reasons. People leave churches because they're moving somewhere. I've had people move, leave churches because they want to get more plugged in and there's a church close to them. Those are great reasons. People also leave churches because someone offended them, because someone was rude to them, because somebody um, commented on something they didn't like. And we can do all those things. And part of, what, part of getting back to Paul's emphasis and why I'm laboring, that's why it took four weeks to go through this second um, contrast, is because Paul isn't going to call on us to act on it in chapter 4 until he's taught on it in chapter 2. And if you remember back in chapter 2, he's saying, before even that, I'm praying, go back to chapter 1, right? Um, because here's the flow of his reasoning. You've got a healthy, growing church that he planted, and he prays. Verse seven, verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks. So this isn't just a one-off prayer request. This is Paul's consistent prayer for them, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So he wants God, through his spirit, to give them power to know something, and then The three somethings are, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness, and what is the hope of his calling, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? So to summarize that, I'm praying that God would supernaturally enable you to understand what he's done for you. 
Then he proceeds to tell us what he's done for us. I mean, it's almost like, I'm praying that God will help you understand what I'm about to write in chapter 2. So then he writes chapter 2. Look what he prays in chapter 3. Again, almost identical prayer. Massive prayer. We're going to probably spend, I don't know how many weeks we'll spend on this prayer in 3. This is one of my favorite Pauline prayers, period. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Notice again the emphasis on unity. Whether we're Martinsville Community Church or First Baptist, every family is named. Um, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Pause. I marvel at Paul's specificity of prayer. My prayers are usually much more like, God, do something good for him. Help him. Paul's like, no, 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 no. I, I want God, according to his riches and grace, to strengthen you, not just anywhere, in their inner man. I mean, he's so particular of what he wants. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to, oh, look, comprehend. We're back to understanding things again. That big, long introductory clause is, I'm praying for you to understand, comprehend things. What does he want us to comprehend? With all the saints, what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? So again, his big prayer is very specific, but it's very specifically power to understand the love of God in Christ for us. And so he closes out his doctrinal section of the book. And so that the flow of the logic is you've got to know the truth. Then he can call on us to live in response to the truth. So he sets up in chapter 2 that we're, to, we're created in Christ for good works, for which he prepared before and that we should walk in them. And then walking is his meta, the metaphor he uses to, to give us applications. So four one to walk worthy. 4.17, walk no longer as the Gentiles, and, and so on. So how do we do this? I'm, I'm starting back. We need to be asking for it. We can't do it on our own. We need God's power. It starts with understanding truth. This is another... There's two... There's two dangers. Some people want to set doctrine and truth aside to just go love people. And other people just want to focus on the knowing truth and they never get around to chapter 4. And you say, well, which one's more important? And it's kind of, well, which wing of the plane is more important? You know, which blade of the scissors is more important? Um, but you can't go on. To, but the people that want to jettison doctrine and just go love people, eventually are going to love people in ways that aren't actually loving. They're going to affirm people in ways that actually aren't affirming. And then you absolutely, the other hand, can have the doctrine and be dead right. And that's actually where Ephesus is going to work, end up in, by the book of Revelation. They're, oh, they got good doctrine. They're testing the saints. They've lost their first love. They're, they're, they're starting to cool down in their passion. But Paul's got, you need God's power to understand the truth, to live in light of it. So, this is a real long roundabout way to saying, the first bit is praying about it. Second bit is studying it and thinking about it. And then living like it. And that's where you've got to realize that if I got a problem with somebody, if, if uh, Sarah Braun and I are just you know, at loggerheads, this is, this is my family member, right? This is one of the reasons why the local church is so crucial because it is so easy to have these warm, happy thoughts about Christians everywhere, right? I just love the church. I love Christians. And, and God says, okay, love these people. Bear with these people. Prefer these people. Serve these people. No, I just want to sort of... Every, no, no, these people. You mean the guy with the bad breath? Yes, him. You mean 
and the the person with the the, the issues that I don't the irritating person that person too yep um, and so the local church gives us a context to do these things and helps prevent us from deceiving ourselves it's really easy to sort of think it's, it's what James says go warm and be fed and you see the pictures of the starving kids and you like you shed a tear and you just oh but what are you actually doing right. So, I, so here in the local church, we get a real context of people that I don't just get to pick. Now, the danger is, especially the bigger the church gets, that I can just pick, and I'll just hang out and do the one another's with my hand-picked group of people who are, surprise, surprise, just like me. They share my interests. They're about my age. They're the same things going on in their life. And, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with having friends who share your interests. But in the same way, we, we, we ought to be having an eye out for the prayer request earlier, those who are hurting, those who are alone, those who are... Weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. That's only going to happen as we apprehend and understand the truth and as we're being purposeful. If we just default to what comes natural, what comes natural is I'll go hang out with the people that please me to hang out with. And generally what I'm pleased by is not a lot of work. Right? I mean, fair enough. There's nothing sinful in that. And as I measure and meter out who I spend time with and where I'm doing things, I meter out, there's sometimes and people I spend time with that is more to minister to me and refresh me and other times that are going to be more costly on my end, right? And if you're wondering which one you are, I'm not going to tell. Um, <laughs> no, but we all know what that's like, right? There are, there, are, there are people I spend time with that I'm looking, it'll be refreshing. I'm looking to be ministered to. I'm looking to be encouraged. And there are people I spend time with that I'm probably going to be doing more encouraging. I'm going to be doing more bearing with, Right? Um, and they're both important because God has put us here to do both. I need to be built up, and I need to build up, and so do you. And so if, if we're thinking this, and if we're getting Paul's emphasis, then this could intentionally shift our time. It's, it's praying for God, give me the wisdom to know how much time to spend doing things, you know, between dividing up work and family and church and other interests, and then amongst that, how much time to divide up among those people that I... I'm happy to spend time with. If you said you get to pick, you get an hour to spend time with whoever you want. These are the people I'd pick. But also to develop relationships and spend time with people that I'm not that way with. To get to know them better because they're family. They're, they're part of this household. They're part of this household, you know. And, and especially to realize the priority. Go to, go to Leviticus 19. Oh, dear. It's just tea, but still. Hardly foul. Um... There's a reason why this is the second greatest commandment. Um, the second greatest commandment, the first greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your might. The second is like unto it, which is what? Love your name as yourself. Leviticus 19. Um, and in this original context, Leviticus 19 has the second greatest commandment. And I want you to notice what it's put in contrast with. It's one of these put off, put ons. Don't do this, do this. And that helps shed some light as to what it means. Okay? So Leviticus 19, um, ooh, what's 17. Verse 9 is the start of that bigger section. And it's a various variety of commandments. Um, but, but we get a section, because a lot of the sections are capped off by I am the Lord. So you see the end of verse 10, I am the Lord your God. The end of verse 12, I am the Lord. The end of verse 14, I am the Lord. 16, I am the Lord. And then 18 is going to end, I am the Lord. So 17 and 18 are a subunit in between I am the Lord's. So let's look at this subunit that contains love your neighbors yourself. What shall I not do? You shall not hate your brother in your heart. What shall I do? But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. 
lest you incur sin because of him. So right off the bat, don't hate, go talk to him. Which assumes there's not a third option. Well, what if I just do neither? Let's keep going. Lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. And I think he's describing here two types of hatred. And again, we think of hatred as though I want you to die. That's not biblically I think what hatred is. I think that's closer to murder. That wrath, that fury is more akin to the sin of murder than it is hatred. If you remember in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan is a picture of what it means to love your neighbors yourself. What, did the other two guys who walk by want, the, Samaritan, want the, the guy beaten to die? Did they growl at him and get mad at him? What do they do? They just don't have time to help him. They walk on by. They got important things to do with. They get dirty. You get blood on you. I'm a priest. I'm going up to Jerusalem. I got to do the temple worship. I might get unclean. Hatred, I think, biblically, is simply not loving someone with a care to help them out. I can't be bothered. So don't hate them in your heart. Go talk to them. I can't be bothered. Well, if you can't be bothered, what's probably going to happen is you're going to start resenting them or getting angry with them or bearing a grudge against them. And I think this passage says those are all forms of hatred. So your options are. Go talk, go reason frankly, or begin to become resentful or embittered or angry, and you'll be hating them. And then, again, positively, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So in its first instance, loving your neighbor as yourself is a matter of don't bear a grudge, go talk to them. Don't get bitter, love them as yourself, which I am not at all surprised is one of the hardest things for us to do. <laughs> Loving your neighbors yourself is not easy. It's the second greatest commandment for a reason. It is hard. And it's absolutely tempting to think, man, if I sit down and try to talk to Sarah, she is, sorry, Sarah, I'm just picking on you. Sarah is just, she's just gonna get angry and yell at me or whatever. I just forget it. I'm not gonna deal with it. I'll hang out with some other people. Well, okay. Um, now I'm hating Sarah, and in Paul's economy, now I'm not maintaining the unity of the Spirit. Now I'm basically, the work that God did and what Christ accomplished on the cross, I'm willing to see it undone. I'm willing to see it fall apart. Go to John 17. This is not just a big issue for Paul. This is a big issue for Jesus. This is Jesus' big prayer, what's oftentimes called his high priestly prayer. John 17, the night before... He's arrested, hours before he's arrested. And Jesus prays in three sections. First, he prays for himself in the first five verses. Then, in starting in verse 6, he prays for the 12, or the 11, specifically. Then, starting in verse 20, he prays for us. He prays for all of his sheep. I want to pick it up in 20. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one. Okay, how, how one are we? I mean, we're all in this room, right? Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Oh, that level of oneness. That they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Oh, wow, the testimony of the church and the world believing in Jesus is tied to the church's unity. Oh, this might explain why it's a big deal for Paul. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one, 
even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me. Again, the ultimate goal of this oneness, which is supposed to be supernatural. Again, the world is not going to be impressed when a bunch of people who share the same interests hang out together. They are going to be impressed when Jew and Greek, slave and free, young and old, have a tender love for each other. That's not going to make as much sense. That is going to make people say, wow, what's going on here? There's nothing impressive. There's nothing wrong with having friends that share your interests. There's just nothing impressive about it. I mean, Jesus says, don't even the Gentiles do the same thing. They invite you to your house. You invite them to your house, like tit for tat. Okay, there's nothing remarkable about that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing remarkable about that. Um, I don't expect the world watching to go, whoa, Jesus must truly be sent from God if they can live that way. Um, But that's what Jesus is saying. The outcome of our oneness will be. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me before because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known. The love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them, which means if Jesus is to be taken seriously, there's no room for what I hear on occasion, which is, well, I love them, but I don't like them. Try fitting that into your intra-Trinitarian relationships. Because my unity with you all and yours with me is meant to imitate the unity in the Trinity. So try fitting I love but don't like you into that. And it's unacceptable. Now, if what you're saying by I love, but I don't like him, is an admission of weakness, and I need to do something about it, and yeah, I definitely need to spend more time with Matthew because I love, but don't like him. You know, if that's what you mean when you say it, great, but I'll sometimes hear it as though, like, well, what do you do? That's life. Like, you hear Jesus' prayer, and you get up, and you act on it. That's what you do. You pray, and you ask God for strength to believe and act upon these things. But, but no, our, our unity um, and our real unity as a body, is, is absolutely imperative. Paul's telling us what great lengths God went to to attain it. In his flesh, he abolished the dividing wall of the law to make within himself one new man, to unify us together to the Father, and in so doing, giving us both access to the Father through him in one spirit, so that together we're citizens, and together we're family, and together we're a temple to God. So, f- finally, and I, I, this is... One long answer, I know, Carrie. You just you said it right over the plate. Says a sports analogy, um, and uh, and that that's got to become captivating to us. These types of truths have to become real to us. And then you've got to do what my wife does to me, which is if my wife picks up on me having a negative attitude towards someone, she will say to me, "Sounds like you need to go talk to them," because Leviticus nineteen and loving your neighbors yourself, she's she's got a hold of. And so when she catches me, I don't always catch myself. This is, again, why we need each other. She catches me saying, Sarah Braun. (laughs) Which Sarah happens with, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Sounds like you need to go talk to him. You know, um, Daniel will sometimes, you know, if we're talking, I think you need to go talk, or vice versa. And these are good checks. Um, 
Because in the first instance, the early church is meeting in houses. These are people sharing the Lord's table together side by side. Like it, there were, it would be much harder to sustain prolonged friction and, and lack of unity in those contexts. It's a lot easier in bigger churches where you can pick, a, even within the church, a different ABF, a different seating zone in the church, right? We get different time and seating zones and stuff, right? And so you know, we're going to move over here to the north side, you know, um, and... So even within that, we can, we can be mobile and, and avoid people and whatever. But if we, if we catch a vision, it's got to come basically, instead of guilting people into it, it's gotta, I think it's got to come from a vision of let, let the Lord Jesus receive the reward for which he suffered. He purchased and intended to create and has created a new man. Who am I to say, well, that's not that important. I've got more important things to worry about strive, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I'm eager to serve my own interests and do what I want, honestly. Jesus, high priestly prayer, Father, yeah, Jesus, don't be so extreme. I got other things to do. I mean, you got to get a vision for this so you're excited about it. Otherwise, it will just be browbeating. You're like, okay, how many people I don't like do I have to hang out with? Okay, that's not the way you come at this. You come at this, get, starting to get a vision, getting excited for what Jesus is excited about, what Paul's excited about. And then saying, okay, Lord, I want to I start moving this forward an inch at a time. That, it's got to come from that zeal and that excitement and not from browbeating. And that, so that zeal and that excitement is working backwards only to come from meditating on, understanding these realities. And that's only going to bear fruit if we're praying about it. So that is my 20-minute answer to your question, Carrie. And Joanna's got a follow-up. Here we go. <laughs> okay, so kind of following up on that. Um, I think sometimes when we're talking about correcting, that's really hard when someone is also in the midst of suffering. Yeah. So a good example I have for that, um, sorry, Jane Kelly, I was at your house, I'm going to talk about you. Um, <laughs> but you know, when I, the, my old job that I was at was really hard, and um, I had a bad attitude a lot of days. And so I was sitting there venting about it, and I can't remember if it was Jake or Callie, but they talked about Colossians 3, which is, you know, whatever work you do, work heartily in the Lord. It wasn't that they were saying that I wasn't suffering, but mm. they were also saying that, you know, it is hard, but you're supposed to do it in a good attitude for right. Christ. Right. And I think that's really hard to recognize sometimes when it's anxiety or something mm. a little bit deeper and right. more hidden. Right. So how do you kind of pull that out of people as you're talking with them um, and still lovingly discuss, hey, I recognize this is a, is a deep suffering, um, but you're really being... Um, driven by anxiety and you're not pointing to Christ in your life. We are going to talk about the difference between empathy and sympathy. Um, so, so, there's two, so there's an important thing here. On the one hand, suffering the people who suffer. And there's two extremes that we need to avoid. On the one hand is the extreme that says, unless I think your suffering is 100% pure, righteous, and holy, I dare not encourage you in it lest I encourage whatever part of that I think is your fault or you're responsible for. That's one danger, right? So I can, I can pray and weep with you if you're being persecuted for being a Christian, but if I think in any way you've played a part in this, I dare not, that's wrong, right? So even if somebody has destroyed their life through drink or drugs, and the, you can see a lot of responsibility, that's got to be awful for them. And we need to be able to say, man, I mean, let's just use examples. Even if you show up and your thumb is mangled because you've been hitting it with a hammer, you're like, man, my thumb, my thumb sure hurts a lot. 
even, even I can, like, man, that's got to hurt, right? Um, so on the one side, we need to show sympathy um, to, to suffer with people. Even when we can think, man, you, I think to some degree you're suffering, in your case, maybe because you've got a wrong attitude about work. That doesn't mean work isn't difficult. There's probably a reason you've stumbled over this thing. It's probably a trial. And even if you're failing that trial to some degree, there's, a, there's suffering there, right? Um, and so we can weep with those who weep. We can sympathize with. Now, the, the other extreme danger is what, and this is a gross oversimplification, I'd call empathy, which is to just leave it there. Because, of course, you're not going to offend anybody when you, man, I'm so sorry. That's really hard. That must be, oh, I can't believe it. And you just leave it there. Now, there's, there's some wisdom in that. I mean, Job's friends, for seven days, just sit there and suffer with Job. And they start giving counsel, and their counsel isn't righteous, and so it's bad, right? Um, but on the other side, if we're caring for each other, we are eventually going to try to speak encouraging words to each other, spur each other on to love and good deeds. I mean, go to, go to Hebrews 10. This is, I don't know how many, <laughs> here, you want, I'll give this guess back to your question. How do you do this? Before you come to church, Pray and prepare to fulfill Hebrews 10, okay? Because Hebrews 10 doesn't just tell us to do it, but to give thought to how to do it. Don't, don't miss the little details. So Hebrews 10 says, there's three lettuces. Um, we'll start in verse 19. 19, he's going to give us the ground, two grounds, since, and then we're going to get a since, and then because of these two senses, because of these two realities, there's three let us do these things that flow out of it. So, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest. So, we've got open access, and in, in the throne room, there's a great high priest praying for us. That's, in short, what he's saying. Because we can enter in, and because when we enter in, Jesus is there interceding for us, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, first, um, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I just say the command isn't just to encourage one another. It's to give thought to it. And it's connected with our weekly assemblies. Which means, really, if we're obeying Hebrews 10, you're spending some time on Sunday morning or Saturday evening thinking, man, uh, I know Joanna's having a hard time at work. How can I, how can I encourage her? And I think that's where you're going to get the wisdom to meter out sympathy and encouragement with, but, <laughs> I think in that suffering, Christ is calling you to to, uh, to serve not as a man pleaser, but doing it heartily unto the Lord. And, you know, and, and finding a way to fit that in. And that's the challenge, because that's where eventually you, you can offend someone. If you just stay in the sympathy side of, man, I'm sorry, if that's always, you'll never offend anyone there, or you'll be hard pressed to offend someone there. If you skip over that, this is my temptation, because I'm a fixer, and I know the, you know, I studied the Bible. I got a verse for you, you know, you know. The person's not even done telling you how bad work is. I got this, if you open your Bible to, you know, and so I've got to be careful myself of, of making, hold on, make sure I, they've been heard, make sure I understand what they're saying, um, trying to enter some, some level of sympathy, and then say, hey, I think maybe there's some, some truth that can help. 
But we got to give thought to that. If the plan is I'm just going to shoot from the hip and, and, and play it as I go, well, that's not what Hebrews is calling us to do, and that might be why we wimp out because, well, I don't want to offend them, and I haven't given any thought to how I'm going to say this, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> right? But no, absolutely we need to do that. And there's a skill in that. And, and based on how I know people, I can, I can be much more blunt with somebody, Daniel and I working side by side, than somebody I don't know as well or somebody who might be more fragile. There, there's a mistake in thinking we answer people all the same way. So 2 Thessalonians talks about encouraging the faint-hearted, um, helping the weak. I'm bungling it. Hold on. Let's just go there. If you can't quote it. Hey, Pastor Jeremy. Yes. Actually, it's, uh, I was just going to comment on it. It's First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Thank you. Kevin. It's First Thessalonians, uh, chapter five, um, <clears throat> fourteen. There it is. Just read it for me. Do you, do you want me to comment first, or are you going to go first? Just, just read it. Just read it. Okay. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And I was just going to comment on kind of what you were saying. When you're counseling people, um, people are not all the same. People are not all the same, and, and if you have a formula, you know, okay, this is what's wrong, this is what you need, this is, you know, because everybody's different. He says, admonish the idol. That's pretty, that's pretty harsh. Yeah. Somebody needs straight out of, this, out of the double-barrel shotgun, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. That's a right. whole different. Right. And the last of all, most important, be patient with them all. Right. Yeah, don't rush to quit judgments. I mean... I, I'm gonna. That's right where I was going, Carol. Am I dealing with the idol? I might need to take a more direct, like, hey. I, and that's usually, I think, where people know what they're doing is wrong. Like, usually, people know lying's wrong, so you don't need to like. Can we do a Bible study on lying? Now, sometimes there is lying we don't know is wrong because what you're dealing with is exaggeration or half the truth. And so maybe there is some teaching that needs to take place. But I think you can kind of directly just be like, that's not true. <laughs> well, sometimes, right? But. I don't want to treat the faint-hearted as though they're the idol. You dumb goat. How do you not know about Melchizedek and his high priesthood? Right? Uh, I, I don't call people dumb goats, but I was just trying to... Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Well, if the shoe fits, so... Uh, no. I'm just teasing you, Matthew. Okay, okay. Um, so giving different, and sometimes we even mess up. Sometimes I'll measure something out and come out too strong for someone. Like, oh, I mean, like we make mistakes. I mean, I've got to bear with each other. Like, I, that probably sounded, I've, I've said this on more than one occasion. That probably came across stronger than I intended. <laughs> um, and, and, we, and we just work, we, like a family muddle through. There isn't like a magic key, like here's, here's the script you use when you correct someone for grumbling at work. Step one, you know, like it's wisdom and it's planning and it's, and it's speaking the truth in love and we'll, and we'll muddle through it together. Um, but no, we, we need to do that because we, it, the, way, the way to think about it, here's the way I think about it. This gets back to loving and we're almost out of time, so we'll close here. Two questions. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get through ABF with two questions. If I think I see something, some weakness in your life, let's just use your example, grumbling at work then the Lord has put me in a place and given me the wisdom to see that. And you haven't, clearly, because you're not acknowledging it. Um, why would he do that? Well, one option is so that I can look down on you and judge you. Maybe I can tell some other people about you, too. You know, hey, Sarah, did you know that? You know, or maybe it's so I can go try to help you. 
Which one of those sounds like the Lord? And which one of those, which one of those sounds like not the Lord? <laughs> so if, if, if God's put you in a position to see some weaknesses, I'm, oh dear, that's me. <laughs> Bad Siri. Bad Siri. Stupid goat. Um, okay. All right. Okay. I, I, see? There you go. Uh, I thought that was like, man, somebody's feeling pretty embarrassed right now. <laughs> oh, that's me. Hold on. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, no, but if, so if you've seen something like that and God's allowed you to see that, it, I'd assume, so we shouldn't be walking around. Paul talks about people who are filled with evil suspicions. We shouldn't be the spiritual Gestapo. But if being faithful, doing what I'm doing, living my life, trying to serve the Lord, I see something, then I think I should follow it up. It's also going to stop me from thinking ill of them. It's going to stop me from hating them. And maybe there's more to it. And, and when I hear your side of things, and I'm like, hey, this is what you said, and it seemed kind of out of line. What's going on? Help me out. And you're like, you explain. It like, oh, okay. You know, and we maintain the unity of the peace. It's just hard, and you might get dirty, and it might have an awkward conversation or two. And I think that's what loving each other and being part of a family requires and means. And we're only going to do that if we've got Paul's vision, Jesus' vision for what it matters, you know, and, and because we're in the West and because of all these, these the, the consumerism, it's just really easy to be like, you know what, that's going to be a lot of work. I'll go somewhere else. I'll do something else. I'll hang with some other people. We're out of time. I'll be up here for a few more minutes, but thank you. Good questions, good discussion, and we'll have a Merry Christmas. Hope to see you Christmas Eve. God bless.